good to spend some time together with you in God's Word this morning. Um, this morning, this truly is, is fully going to be focused on those who already claim to be followers of Christ. Those who do not claim to be followers of Christ do not have the same concerns. They do not have the same burdens. They do not have the, the Holy Spirit to lead them. They don't have the ability to have the fullness of the Spirit in their life or the fruit of the Spirit. And this is one of the more difficult topics for us to cover. Um, it's called the difficulty of divorce. The difficulty of divorce. In one way, I've not looked forward to this morning because this is a hard topic and there's so many different views on this. In another way, I've actually begun to look forward to it because I think it's helpful for us to appreciate the big ideas here. And I think for some, it will bring freedom. For others, it will cause them to think and perhaps reflect. I've been told by multiple people, one of our past pastors, uh, Pastor King, had one view of divorce, but then as he went through it with, not himself, but with, I think, one of his children, he did uh, make a modification to his view. Chances are, our original view on divorce is based on what we've always been told, and usually there's nothing wrong with that, but as we face the realities of it, we begin to look at other aspects that we can consider from Scripture. So I want to dive right in to our text after I pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning. And pray, Spirit of God, that you would work in our hearts. Give us understanding, enlighten us, open the eyes of our understanding. If there's an area where our heart is hard, that you would begin to soften it. If there is an area where we just need encouragement, I pray that that would be the case this morning as well. Thank you for your ministry for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now in Mark chapter 10, and we're looking at the first 12 verses. And he left there, Jesus left there, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they were not genuine with their desire with him. In order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Again, as we've seen in multiple places, um, they were crafting questions to try to trip up Jesus because this was a hot-button issue, <coughs> and it still is. Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of, the, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God is joined together. Let not man separate. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. There's hardly anybody in here who is not affected by divorce. And I cannot deal with just this passage. So I'm moving today into the big ideas. And I put on your handout several overarching big idea principles. I'm not going to get too specific with any part. Because if I did, it would be way too long. Um, Divorce is fraught with complications, fraught with perspectives from the scripture. And so I want to just bring us back to big ideas, the big principles. And if you want to talk more in private, we'd be glad to do so. So I want to start with just giving you the Bible passages on divorce. These are the main ones. There's some other minor ones. But you have the Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 24, that the Pharisees were referring to in their question to Jesus. And then you also have Jesus' mentions of it in Matthew and Mark. And then you have some things that Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians. So we're going to move down. We're going to go through several big idea principles. First of all, today, as we're looking at this text in Mark, this was a narrow question by the Pharisees about a specific controversy based on specific parts of the Mosaic Law Covenant. And I am going to use uh, the abbreviation from here on out, MLC, to refer to this Mosaic Law Covenant. When it comes to the Mosaic Law Covenant, it is probably one of the most confusing matters of Bible doctrine today. The Law Covenant that was made under Moses between God and the people of Israel is no longer in effect today. You say, yeah, I get that. But then there's lots of principles that have been passed down from century to century by the church that find their primary basis in the Mosaic Law Covenant instead of the New Testament. I'll give you one example. Tithing. It's a scriptural principle rooted solely in the Mosaic Law Covenant. It is not something that is instituted in the New Testament. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying this is why it's confusing. Because matters that are rooted primarily in the Mosaic Law Covenant stopped at the time of Christ and then do not apply to the church today But it's very confusing because the church retained lots of principles from the Mosaic Law Covenant. Not ones that are bad, but this is why it's confusing. Here's somewhat of a side note as we're talking about divorce here under the Mosaic Law Covenant. When it's spoken of in Deuteronomy 24, most people would say who have studied the Old Testament a lot, they would be scholars, they would say that Divorce spoken of in the Mosaic Law Covenant 
was from the perspective of addressing husbands and not wives. And this was a matter of protecting women under the Mosaic Law Covenant from the abuse of men. Let's move on. Jesus gives big idea principles here that transcend the Mosaic Law Covenant, but also fit within it. Sounds a little confusing. Let me say it again. Jesus gives big idea principles here that transcend the Mosaic Law Covenant, but also fit within it. So I'm going to try to make this a little clearer by giving a mini lesson on the law of God. Okay? And I want to do that by one of the best New Testament passages to clarify this confusion. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 21 through 22. Paul's right in the middle of a complex um, passage, but he gives us what we need to talk about this morning here in these couple verses. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And there the law is referring to that Mosaic law covenant between Israel and God under Moses that's no longer in effect. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. He's saying, I became as one outside the Mosaic law covenant. But then he goes on, he wants to clarify something here. He says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So I'm going to try to make some applications here. Principles about God's law. We are, under the, we are not under the Mosaic law covenant, but we are not outside God's law. We are now under the law of Christ. Since Christ came and ascended into heaven through Christ's teaching and also through the teaching of the apostles, they have established a new body of living and expectations. And some of those expectations and those teachings are exactly the same as the Mosaic Law Covenant. Others are not. There is some similarity or some overlap and there's some things that are different. The law of Christ began when the Mosaic law covenant ended. And then God's law is present in both the Mosaic law covenant and the law of Christ, but with different ministries. And if you want to study a scripture passage that explains the different ministries of the Mosaic Law Covenant versus the Law of Christ, you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
And so as we look at the teachings of Jesus, one of the more confusing things is that Jesus often in conversation with the people during that day, they were still under the Mosaic Law Covenant. So he references that and he teaches them in accordance with the Mosaic Law Covenant. But often in his teachings, he takes it beyond the Mosaic Law Covenant to the overarching goal of God's law in general. And that is what he's doing with this passage on divorce. He specifically dealt with the Old Testament passages and what was said. But then he goes and he gives the big principle as well in God's, of God's intent. So hopefully that brings a little bit of clarity. Now we're going to move on. <clears throat> Jesus gives big idea principles here that transcend the Mosaic law, but also fit within it. I actually repeated myself there. Sorry about that. So I just want to make sure you get that. That's why I wanted to put that slide there again, is that although God's law is present within the Mosaic law covenant, there are truths that are Bigger than the Mosaic Law Covenant, although the Mosaic Law Covenant contains God's law. Probably confused you, but I'm trying not to. So let's move on. Divorce is intensely difficult. No surprise there. However, divorce is not God's intent. I think... No matter of what your experience, whether you've been through divorce or not, I think we can say the scriptures are clear on that, that divorce is not God's intent. And therefore, we should work hard to avoid divorce. If anything, regardless of you know the shakeout, when divorce happens, there's all kinds of other things to consider. But the big primary principle is that divorce was not God's intent. And we should avoid it. And along with that, to be fair to the teachings of Scripture, remarriage should be cautiously considered. Divorce should not be the first option. It should not be considered lightly. And remarriage should be considered carefully and slowly. When we talk about remarriage, is there a possibility for a reasonable Reunion with your former spouse. I think as we look at the scriptures, because of God's desire for us to avoid divorce, and if it does happen, He desires reconciliation, so we must consider, is there a possibility of reconciliation? That should be a consideration before remarriage happens. We should at least consider this. We should give it time. We should pray about it and get advice. Some people decide that they're not going to remarry their former spouse if it's still an option. But they also decide that they're never going to get remarried either. Others do get remarried. It's very hard to make a categorical statement here as you take all the scriptures and try to bring them together. It's very hard to make a categorical statement here. It's very hard to say, you must never or you must do it this way. Very hard to do that with the scriptures that we have. 
And then there are those who have been remarried, and although there's been complications with the divorce and remarriage, they've generally had a wonderful experience. Divorce can sometimes bring reproach. Not in every case. But this is a consideration from the scriptures based on what Jesus said in these words because it is not God's plan in some divorces to the majority of people can seem unnecessary. At least of God's people. If you're not a Christian, we do not expect Christians to have the, or non-Christians to have the same considerations as Christians. But among God's people, as they make value judgments and discernments of some divorces, they can consider that it brings reproach. It brings a character question in play. This is very, very hard to sort out. Now, it doesn't happen in every case. In some divorces, many of God's people, the majority of God's people say, yeah, you know, it was hard, it was tough. The right effort to keep the marriage together was put into place, and it didn't work. And there was major sin in play by one spouse to the other. And there was an effort at least by one spouse to keep the marriage together and obey the Lord. And so because of that, there's not a character question. There's not a matter of reproach. So hard to sort out. But we must be clear on the fact that if there is a question mark on your Christian testimony because of a divorce, this is not a once-for-all black mark. The Bible nowhere teaches that. Full restoration is available when there is a question of reproach. So perhaps, let's just role play here. Someone did make a mistake and they sinfully pursued a divorce. And they would admit that. It doesn't mean that they have a once for all black mark. Folks who sin as God's children, they have the ability for restoration and forgiveness. And can be fully restored to usefulness when a pattern of behavior of godliness emerges over time in their lives. As you look at the character assessments that show up in our New Testaments, I see nowhere that there is a once-for-all black mark. The, char- the words that are used in the original have the idea of a pattern of behavior that emerges that your local church community can observe in you over time. So that perhaps if you did fall into sin in any matter and you make it right and you seek forgiveness and you seek restoration, there may be limited usefulness. There may be a question of your character for a period of time. But as you obey the Lord, not perfectly, but as you have a pattern of behavior of seeking to obey the Lord, that over time reproach falls away. So for those who went through divorce and the majority of their Christian brothers and sisters feel like it brought reproach upon their character, it is not a once-for-all black mark. And again, there are some who go through divorce and those in the uh, Christian community, as they look at the situation, 
for that individual, they recognize that it's not a question of character. That all that could be done was done. Divorce will always have deep wounds associated with it. Divorce, let's be clear, folks, divorce is a rending. It's a tearing of what was bonded together. You cannot, you superglue something together and try to tear it apart. There's going to be damage. Damage for yourself, damage for both spouses. If there are children involved, there will be damage for the children. Also, when that type of rending happens, whatever relationships were in the married couple's lives, there's going to be damage in all of those relationships. It's going to be hard. Sometimes, God's people, because of their disagreement over divorce, have caused wounds in the people going through the divorce to be even deeper. Did you catch that? Sometimes, because people have a zero tolerance for divorce, how they treat someone who is going through divorce in a way that is not kind causes their wounds to be even deeper. This is one of the reasons why I give out a secular book on how to care for children whose parents are going through divorce. Because it addresses it clearly in a pragmatic way. With how to care for children and strategies to help the children heal. And strategies to give the parents who are going through the divorce to help their children not carry deep wounds that destroy them and cause trauma in their lives. I'm not saying you should throw out your conscience on divorce. But what I am saying is that... You need to treat someone who is going through divorce after you've had your conversation. If you have a concern, have your conversation. I'm not saying don't do that. Tell them you you have concerns. You don't think they should do it. And once you've made that plain, as long as they are somebody who is trying to do right and love the Lord, even if they're struggling, now care for their soul, love them, help them with their children as well. If there are children present. The pursuit of happiness and fulfillment are elusive. A lot of divorces happen in the name of happiness and fulfillment. And if that is the primary objective, when you're pursuing a divorce... Let me just say that that is elusive. It's you're grabbing after something you're not going to be able to get a hold of that way. That has to be considered. It is true that many married couples, one spouse, the other, feels that they have married a very difficult person. And their life is complicated and hard. And they would call themselves unhappy. I don't want to minimize that, but I want to be careful that you don't fall into the trap of making your happiness and what you think will make you happy happy is the reason for your pursuit of divorce. 
Because in reality, that will trick you. It's elusive. It will just go right through your fingers. You will not be able to grasp it. Here's something else, though. Brokenness and trauma are relevant. Maybe someday I will do a whole series on trauma. Because in order for us to look at our own brokenness and the brokenness of others who have gone through significant trauma, we need to understand how this works. But brokenness and trauma are relevant. The ability for us to perceive our own needs or care for others is greatly hindered depending on the level of brokenness and traumatic response in our own soul and also in our own bodies. Trauma is a physical thing and a spiritual thing, both. And sometimes we fall into the trap of just paying attention to our emotions and not paying attention to what's going on in our body as well. God created a union for us while we're on this earth. And both are involved, especially as we talk about trauma. If you have gone through traumatic experiences, it is possible that you have become dysfunctional through no fault of your own. And you need special help. And so as we assess divorce situations, because divorce situations are matters of discernment, probably some of the hardest matters of discernment we'll ever go through. As you assess divorce situations, you must learn to consider brokenness and trauma in people's life. And learn how to assess that. Otherwise, your ability to help people and discern divorce situations will be greatly hindered. Because folks who are dealing with traumatic responses because of their level of brokenness, if you don't understand traumatic response, you could make it worse, cause their wounds to be worse. But also, you just you will not be able to understand them. Because traumatic response, if you don't understand it, is so counterintuitive to the way many people think. Now, here's what we already know, but let's let's wrap this all together with this. There is a spectrum of views among godly people. Some people are going to say no divorce at all. Now, I think most of you know my parents are divorced, and this happened, began to happen second semester of my freshman year in college. And I remember a well-intended young man, actually from this area, who knew what was happening, had heard what was happening with my parents, sat me down at, I think it was supper, at that time where I went to school, we all went and ate the same place around the same time, and proceeded to, with good intentions, lecture me that God was against divorce and that I should try to stop what was going on. This also was a pastor's kid. And... I remember the effect of that upon me and then how that began to, how I tried to insert myself into my parents' divorce and it was a mess. 
Let me say, if um, you are somebody who holds, I'm not criticizing you, but if you are somebody who holds that zero tolerance on divorce, you need to hold that position very, very graciously and recognize that there are other godly people who hold a different position based on the scriptures. There are some people who hold to except for divorce or except for adultery, there should be no divorce. And usually they take that out of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Then there are others who say, except for adultery and except for abandonment, there should be no divorce. And they get the idea of abandonment and divorce from Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Then there are others who take it as a matter of discernment because the scriptures, they don't bring it all together and and put it in a nice neat bow and just give you the if ands of everything. Um, There are others who, and this is where I am, where I would say it's a matter of discernment. And the scriptures expect, and they use phrases all throughout to indicate that this isn't all that could be said on this matter. And in fact, you are supposed to use discernment. What if there is physical abuse? What if there is drug use? What if there is sexual abuse? You could go on and on and on. And there are are plenty of situations where perhaps one spouse has sought to bring reconciliation extensively to a marriage, but it's about to take them under. And they have sought to do right for a period of time. Or perhaps... Divorce happened when you weren't a Christian. Or maybe it happened when you were a Christian that was very immature. There's just so many ifs and ands and buts and just so many things to work through. But what we need to keep in mind is that there is a big principle. We can be clear that God does not want divorce and we should avoid it. We need to be very careful about remarriage and consider reconciliation to our former spouse if possible. So wherever you are on the spectrum, you need to consider carefully and be gracious about it. But you need to take seriously God's intent. And then just step through these big ideas. And it is an exercise of discernment. Maybe for you, I have just muddied the waters. I'd be glad to talk to you personally. Um, But even as I study There's just so many perspectives and so many ways that people draw the lines. I think we can be fair and say what we know God's intent is. We can be fair and say that if we mess up, that there is forgiveness and restoration. And we can honor the Lord even in the midst of this very difficult process. All right, you can spend a couple moments responding to the Lord.